Good morning. I'm very sorry that I can't be with you in person this morning, uh, but I hope that nonetheless I will be able over the course of the next 20 minutes to help you focus on God and in particular on what he has to say to us this morning. As Eddie has already said, this is the final talk in our short series from the 12th chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. Eddie gave the first talk in the series back on the 23rd of February, and to say the least, quite a lot has happened since then. It may sometimes feel as though everything has changed in that time. I have on a couple of occasions recently been watching television drama, well, detective series anyway, and I've had the feeling that I'm watching a different country. I'm watching a different time, the time before the virus. And yet, at a deep level, nothing has changed. God is still God. God is still the sovereign Lord of the world. What Jesus has done for us and does for us has not changed. And nor has his call on us to follow him. And consequently, it is just as important today to focus on what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 as it was five weeks ago. And so that's what I'm going to do. However, before we do that, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would enable us to focus on you to recall what you have done for us and to understand what your will for us is. Thank you that you are with us. Amen. Okay, well, I'm going to look at the final part of Romans 12, the bit we haven't looked at so far, and then towards the end, I'm going to pull back briefly and set that in the context of the whole chapter, and indeed the context of the whole book. And with that in mind, I'm going to start by reading both the first couple of verses and the final section of Romans 12. Unfortunately, of course, I don't know what page this is on in your Bibles, but I hope you've got Bibles and hope you can get it in front of you. Romans 12, starting at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And then verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
that last section of the chapter is pretty clear, isn't it? Do not repay evil for evil. Do not take revenge. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Bible reiterates those points time and again. In fact, I think the first express prohibition on revenge in the Bible is way back in Leviticus, the second book of the Bible, Leviticus 19.18. And I think we would all agree that what Paul says represents a noble aspiration. At least, I hope we would all agree with that. And yet, the reality is that it's difficult in practice to live up to that aspiration, isn't it? And the situation is made worse by the fact that we're called on not merely negatively, not to repay evil for evil, but positively to love those who wrong us. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In Leviticus, immediately after that prohibition on taking revenge, we get the great command to love our neighbour as ourselves. It's in the very same sentence. Do not take revenge, but love your neighbour as yourselves. In that context, our neighbours include those who wrong us. We're called upon to love them. And I don't know about you, but I find that difficult. In our fallen state, we have a visceral desire to get our own back when we've been wronged, or when we perceive we have been wronged. We feel hurt and distressed, and we lash out, or at least we may do so, whether physically, or in my case more likely, verbally. And even if we overcome that initial reaction, we may well still have a desire for vindication, a desire to make sure that they don't get away with it, whoever they might be. And that desire may manifest itself on occasions in a naked, overt desire for revenge, a Sicilian feud. But I suspect for most of us that's not the greatest danger. I suspect that for most of us the danger is much more subtle. The danger is that we dress up our desire for revenge in the language of justice. Indeed, our desire for justice may be quite genuine, but we fool ourselves into believing that we ourselves are the right agent for the execution of that justice. And in the end, we desire revenge. C can any of us really say that we have never experienced the feelings I've been talking about over the last few minutes? Can you really say you have always acted as Paul calls on us to act? I know I can't. And I know furthermore that when I'm anxious or feeling a bit insecure, the danger that I will act badly is greatly increased. And there's the rub. I suspect that at the moment 
a lot of us, perhaps all of us, are feeling a bit anxious and a bit insecure, certainly more anxious and insecure than we were a few weeks ago. And we need to be careful that this doesn't manifest itself in bad behaviour and in particular us repaying evil for evil. Over the past couple of weeks, we have frequently heard our current situation likened to wartime. Now, I confess I'm not sure that's a terribly good analogy, but that doesn't matter for my purposes. My mother and father used to talk almost fondly about the time during the Second World War because they said people worked together, people cooperated. And there's a lot of truth in that. In a crisis, the best in people can be brought out. But what my parents, I think, tended to forget is that uh, so can the worst in people. And sadly, that is what happened during the Second World War. Oh, yes, people did great selfless things, but there was an awful lot of selfishness and taking revenge for selfishness, even dreadful settling of historic scores. In our current crisis, we need to beware. We need to be careful. So what are we going to do about it? Well, you may think that the answer to that question is obvious. We need to recognise the problem and we need to resolve to do better. God has said that we must not repay evil for evil and that we must love those who wrong us, so we'd better get on with it. And of course, there's a lot of truth in that. But there's also a danger. And there is a real danger that if we simply do that, we will set off down the wrong path. Let me explain. Think for a moment. What is the fundamental reason why repaying evil for evil is wrong? Just think about it. I suspect you'll think of various things, but I'd suggest the most fundamental reason is that if we do seek to take revenge, to repay evil for evil, then we will be displaying a lack of trust in God. You see, God says that he is just and that he will hold everyone to account for their actions. In our reading today, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 35, sorry, 32, verse 35. For it is written, he says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. If we decide to take matters into our own hands, we are effectively saying that we prefer to rely on ourselves rather than God for justice. And our reason for that may be various. Uh, we may simply think we know best. We may think that despite what God has said, uh, we're not sure he will in fact execute justice. Or perhaps most disturbing of all, like the prophet Jonah, we may dislike the fact that God will give people the opportunity to repent, be forgiven, and thus escape punishment. And we may wish to close out that possibility. It really doesn't matter 
what our motive is. The fact remains that if we take matters into our own hands, we are not trusting in God. And that points to the vital thing that we need to do about this. We need to trust in God more. And to do that, we need to focus on God, to think about him, think about his nature, think about his character, think about his perfect, supreme knowledge and wisdom, his supreme power, his perfect justice, his perfect love. And as we do that, we should recognise that we don't need to get our own back. We don't need to vindicate ourselves. We can leave that to God. God will, in due course, do what is necessary. And unlike us, he will act with perfect justice and perfect love. And that brings us to the larger context of Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's a very short passage, but my goodness, it's quite demanding, isn't it? Just think about it. If you've got it in front of you, just look at it for a moment. Think what Paul says we should do. Amongst other things, he says that we are called to use our gifts to serve other people. That we're called upon to love others, love our neighbour as ourselves, and in humility to honour others above ourselves. He says we're to be patient in affliction, we're to be faithful in prayer, and we're to maintain our spiritual zeal. Oh, and of course, we're called upon to overcome evil with good. That's a pretty demanding list. And we may be burdened, we may feel weighed down, even just thinking about it. And we certainly will be weighed down if we see it as simply a list of moral imperatives, moral commands. But the good news is that if we see it in that way, if we do just see it as a list of moral imperatives, then we're missing Paul's basic point. And the clue to his basic point is in one word. Therefore, the very first word of this chapter. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul has explained the Christian gospel. He's told us that Jesus died so that we might be forgiven by God and live life at peace with God. That Jesus was raised from the dead so that we can enjoy eternal life. And so that in the meantime, we have God's power to enable us to live the lives for which we were created. And then in chapter 8, having thought about all of that, he concludes as follows. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble 
or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID-19? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, having reflected on the purpose of God more fully, he says this at the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do you see what he's saying? Therefore, in view of what God's done with for us, we should do all the things in chapter 12, including those that we've been thinking of today. You see, if we have faith in Jesus, then we are secure in him. We don't need to worry about ourselves. We don't need to act selfishly in our own defence for our own protection. We don't need to seek our own vindication. God's for us. God is protecting us. Our eternal destiny is secure. And therefore we are free. We are free to follow Jesus. Free to live the lives for which we were created and to which we are called. Free to live life with God. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, that you so loved the world that you sent Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Please help us to grasp this and help us to respond by following Jesus and living our lives as pleases you. Amen.